and welcome to episode 55 of the Drunken Boxing Podcast coming to you, as always, from Beijing. Alright, before I get into some Mushin martial culture news, for those of you that don't know, I have recently launched another YouTube channel called the Drunken Boxing Podcast Clips channel. Now, the aim of this is to upload shorts that highlight interesting topics, discussions, and pieces from some of the podcasts that I've done over the years in an effort to try spread awareness and get people interested in the podcast to start listening to it for the benefit of those that are interviewed as well as for the Chinese martial arts as a whole. If you haven't yet, I request humbly that you subscribe to the channel and watch the clips and share them with your friends, etc., so we can get some traction and greater awareness for the Chinese martial arts. Now, the Chinese martial arts are quite niche in any case, particularly in the West in the grand scheme of things. And the arts that I feature usually with the practitioners that I interview, um, Xing Yichuan, Ba Guajang and the like, are even more niche. So it's not easy to get the general populace interested in the subject as most of them are unaware of it. So that is the purpose of the Clips channel. I hope that it gets people's uh, or piques their interest in the topics that are raised in the discussions and get them to be interested to listen to the full interviews and from there reach out to teachers reach out to the people that they that have been interviewed and get into the practice of Chinese martial arts and I need your help to do that so I'm trying to get a number of subscribers to it to make the channel actually go into that algorithm state that they that YouTube shares it more and I need your help to do it so head on over to the drunken boxing podcast clips channel and subscribe to it if you haven't already all right let's get into some Mushin martial culture news uh, I have released a full series as well as a couple of other things, but the primary focus that I released since the last podcast was a three-part series that features a mini documentary with Chen Zhenglei. Now, much like the Liu Jingru series that I released a year and a bit ago, it's a locally produced documentary and that was long and I split it into three parts that I have subtitled, I have translated, I have dubbed, I have edited, added additional information, etc. because I just found that the topics discussed and the people interviewed were highly interesting. So check it out. I introduced, uh, or I've, uh, rather I have released all three episodes already. I worked very hard to get it done as quickly as possible. They are immense tasks translating such things. Um, they take a very long time to translate and word correctly and then to edit etc. takes a while too to add background information. So I'm quite chuffed with myself that I got all three episodes done in a short period. The three episodes in total end up running for a about 30 minutes in total. So I've split it up into three parts to make it easier for you guys to watch them at your leisure and they are out now. Additionally, I released a short glimpse into one of Xing Yichuan's 12 animals, specifically the sparrow hawk. Uh, as I've done with some of the previous animals, I've released myself performing the, the animal itself and the performance as with the previous ones is drawn from a in-depth lesson on this animal that is on the Patreon online learning program, the Huajin online learning program. So you can take a look at this animal, uh, its practice from the Hebei Xingyichuan lineage. And if you're interested, head on over to the Huajin online learning program. It's grown tremendously in the three years that it's been running. There are hundreds of very in-depth, detailed lessons where you can get into the arts of Xing Yichuan and Ba Guajiang in depth from wherever you are. All right, that's all from Mushin Martial Culture. Let's get into today's podcast. My guest today is Jess O'Brien. Now, I first came to know about Jess O'Brien through a book he released quite some time ago called Nei Jia Quan internal martial arts, 
teachers of Taiji Quan, Xingyi Quan, and Baguazhang. Guajang. Zhang. I managed to get the second edition of this book in the late 2000s, and the first edition came out sometime before that. It is no longer in print, so if you're looking to get this book, which I highly recommend, probably have to try source a second-hand copy. It's highly recommended. It features interviews that Jess did with teachers of these arts in the West, some of them visiting, some of them living and teaching in the USA, the greater USA, and um, they're fascinating. Firstly, because they give you insights into differing teachers' perspectives, which are always great but more so for the time that he released this, which was, you know, as, as mentioned, mid to, to uh, late 2000s. This is a time that people might have been aware of Taiji, but Xingyi and Bagua in the West, not so well known. So having this released at that time is already a pioneering effort from Jess. I wanted to discuss with him his process to have this and to compile this book, as well as his own journey in the arts that he practices. He is a practitioner of Xingyi Quan and Bagua Zhang. He studied under BK Francis for many years, as well as under Luo De Xu of the Taiwan Yizong lineage. And he himself still teaches today. With that, I bring you Jess O'Brien. Welcome to the Drunken Boxing Podcast. Very happy that we're finally getting to do this. Jess O'Brien, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. First of all, Happy New Year to you. It's officially the first day of the Chinese New Year today, the Year of the Dragon. So it makes this uh, podcast double special. You're the first podcast <laughs> in this, this Year of the Dragon. Uh, exciting. Thanks for the welcome and Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Thank you. So um, maybe you want to give you a, a, a bit of an introduction, your background um, uh, for the listeners? Sure. I... I guess I've been around, uh, you know, the martial arts scene uh, since the 90s, I suppose, and got interested in Chinese martial arts back then. So, you know, Byron, you and I are from a generation uh, that we often mention before YouTube and before Internet and before the uh, easy exchange of information about Chinese martial arts. So, yeah, at the time, it was books and magazines that you could get your hands on and maybe videotapes occasionally that would be passed around. So it, it was an information environment where you had to go out and get it, you know, yep. like Chinese martial arts was hard to find back then, basically. Yeah, very true. Very true. But you know what? To be honest, I wouldn't change a thing about uh, about, right? about all of that, to be honest. I mean, those discoveries, finding a magazine, it was even mm -hmm. more difficult for people like at least in the States, which is where you guys had most of the publishing done uh, mm -hmm. for us outside to get. Uh, like a local, uh, you know, a newsstand or or a magazine store, etc., mm -hmm. to import a like a inside kung fu or a or a kung fu wushu magazine was like mm -hmm. you know, you had to go search for them. I remember driving yeah, okay. driving half an hour out at like where I was living to find one store that would occasionally have them, right. and it was like it was like a treasure hunt. It was great. And like you said, when you found something, it was super exciting. And I had a similar experience when I. Eventually, I moved down to the Bay Area to try and access more training here in California. And you'd go to Chinese bookstores or Japanese bookstores to look for martial arts books. And in the Chinese martial arts, I memorized the characters for Bagua Zhang and Xing Yuquan. So I would thumb through the martial arts section trying to figure out if there were... And if you found a book of your style, it was just like a score, you know? You'd, totally. It's something you'd never even heard of because it was... Yeah. You'd never heard... It was just most of what was out there... You had, you know, there was no central place to figure out what was what. And right. so I think for me, my defining experience when I was young, just getting into this stuff was reading the Bagua Zhang Journal. Yes. And for those of us who were around at that time, I think it made a big impact because it was the first time you had quality 
consistent information coming from mainland China as well as from Taiwan and Hong Kong. And, and it was deep. I mean, it was great. It was deep. Yeah, that was something that you wouldn't usually get from the, the general uh, magazines. Mm-hmm. They couldn't. I mean, the format didn't oh. allow you for this, for this oh. depth. The so, magazines were flashy, and you'd you'd be lucky to find an article in there about you know an internal martial arts style, and they were usually kind of uh, not that authentic or just right. sort of phony. And Bagwajong Journal had that sense of authority to it, and that research behind it, and the translations of source texts, which again at the time were super hard to find. Yeah, and so it's just you and I are part, you know, that when I and when I was looking at your new book, thinking. You know, look how far we've come from when we were scrambling to get little scraps. And, you know, Vince Black did his translation of Lee Tzu-Ming's book. And yeah. everybody who was in the Bagua world, that was a moment when we were like, oh, my God, here it is. This is these are the words. Because you know? <laughs> up until that point, those foreigners, we didn't have the slogans and the poems and the statements. We had no idea about that stuff. So, you know, and your book goes so much further into depth and gives us history and context that, you know, I can just I can capture that whole era from there till now and how how amazingly far it's come. But at the same time, I do miss when everything was when you found something that meant something or when you when you got a new form or a technique, you'd you'd copy it and write it down and think about it. And now there's just so much yeah. that it doesn't have that specialness quite like it once did. Well, we were, we were searching for crouching tigers and hidden dragons back then. Mm-hmm. And when you found a glimpse or you saw a. Oh, a, 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 a scale shining through of the dragon right. somewhere you'd get so excited and right but I think it affected me in general that, that I mean I have such a for me there's a couple of things that are are my cherished possessions one of them of course are my are my martial art weapons so mm. it doesn't matter where I go if I'm gonna whichever country I've lived in that's one thing that I've that's gone with me everywhere the other mm-hmm. thing is my book collection so for me, I'm I'm very old school. I don't really read. I don't like ebooks. I like printed books. I like the smell yeah, and the feel of the too. paper. So <laughs> I have too. I have bookshelf after bookshelf, you know, covered in yep. filled with books, and that's the other thing that goes Same with here. Me. <laughs> and your book is actually one that uh, influenced me and affected me many years ago oh. as well. So I, that I is one of I for me your book is one of the I think it's required reading for for people that practice you know the internal Chinese martial arts Xing Yi Quan Bangua Zhang Tai Chi but even outside of that I mean there's you, you know again your book I had heard about it um, but I never was able to get it I was living in oh. South, in South Africa. Oh, okay, yeah. So it may be hard to come by in the early 00s. Right. It first came out in 2002, so. So, exactly. And then I was on a trip to Canada, actually, in, in Toronto. Um, I The South African national team was, they had some, ah. sa- some Sunday athletes that were fighting in uh, in Toronto. And, and I was the team manager, you know, and I went Awesome. Home. I had already, you know, basically made up my mind that uh, day one, check the team in. After that, go look for bookstores. <laughs> and it was really by chance there was a bookstore across the street. And then when I asked them, do you have any martial arts books? And they pointed me to the martial arts section, which was a tiny little shelf. There wasn't much. And your, your book was there. All and right. I was like, oh, great. Finally, I can get a copy. And that, like I said, I think that was 2009. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think it was 2009. Okay. And it was the second edition. So it wasn't even the uh-huh. first edition. Right, right. So the second edition is black, if I remember. And the right, first, yes, first edition yeah. was it was a different color. Right. 
And, you know, uh, that, that book, I remember, I read most of it on that trip. I had already finished it. I just dived right into it. I All really, right. those interviews, it's also a, it's also a glimpse into, into that time, um, mm-hmm. in the USA when the, when mm-hmm. these arts, which are generally, they weren't so mainstream and these mm-hmm. few teachers that were teaching them openly. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's a great book. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, yeah, I've gone it back to it many times. The time. It kind of, it's a snapshot of that moment. And those teachers, it's a snapshot of where they were at at that moment. And all right. of them continued to grow and change too. But I did want to like, cause I had the opportunity. I just said, okay, I'll take a snapshot of this time period, you know, and, and just leave behind. And I honestly, I didn't quite completely maybe even understand everything I was being told. I figured I'd just write it all down, type it all up. And then later I'll, I'll dig through it and try to figure out what they were, everyone was trying to teach. Right. And so it created this sort of record of that time and that moment. And then, you know, in the years since I've been, I'll flip back and be, wow, I didn't even, I didn't remember I was told that like, and it's not, and each of them wasn't necessarily even telling me, I felt like they knew it was for a book. So they wanted to give me, a chunk of their philosophy Mm. and their approach more than they weren't talking to me directly. They really were talking to the readers. And I think that was one of the things that made it great because they, they, all the guys I approached and agreed to, you know, nearly everyone agreed to do it and really gave part of their, you know, they opened their heart to me and spoke to me openly, even people I couldn't even speak their language. Mm. And they seemed to, I don't know, they sensed my sincerity or something, but they also could tell that this was going to eventually get released. So they need, they wanted to leave a mark and they wanted to leave a few of their own words that people could compare. And so I was kind of touched by that because when I approached, when I first approached people, you know, like Zhao Da Yuan, your Kung Fu uncle, right. you know, I went to his class and at the end of class, I walked up and said, Hey, do you have time for a two hour interview? And he said, sure, why not? Let's do yeah. it. You know, but Zhao Da Yuan has got such kid. a great personality. So, right. I mean, I, people people don't know this if they if they haven't interacted with him. But you you think he's this very you know you'd expect him to be this very serious Severe, and stout. Yeah. And I mean, he's he's he looks uh, like he could be. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's an ex public security uh, officer. You know, he's he was t- teaching the police. You know. Uh, apprehension methods he still is a consultant for them today mm. and then you meet mm. the guy and he's just all smiles and he's he's yeah. he, he even cracks jokes most of the time Pretty you know much. you know so so he's a very he's a he's a very nice guy like uh that was my you know when i first met him when i was training with my teacher i was kind of nervous i didn't know what to expect and then he of was course. just he was cracking jokes and being so you know he's just such, got such a sunny personality so absolutely are you interested in learning authentic traditional Chinese martial arts of Xing Yichuan and Ba Gua Zhang? Well, if that's the case, the Huajin Online Learning Program is for you. The Huajin Online Learning Program is the premier distance learning program where you can learn authentic arts of Hebei Xing Yichuan and Liang style Ba Gua Zhang in a comprehensive and in-depth manner from wherever you are. Featuring over 120 in-depth lessons covering aspects of individual training, technique refinement, forms, application, partner work, conditioning, internal skill building and qigong, and much more. The Huajin Online Learning Program has been running successfully for over three years and is highly praised by participants within the program. So start your journey into learning authentic classical Chinese martial arts today by visiting mushinmartialculture.com to find out more or to sign up directly at patreon.com forward slash mushinmartialculture. That is the Huajin Online Learning Program. Enroll today. So and that is the commonality. Maybe it's just because of the people I sought out, but 
people did have a sense of humor and a sense of perspective and it wasn't you know nobody even some of the people who had been through uh real like Taiwan, for instance who had been in real use in either in war or in combat or in fighting they still had uh, they they weren't intimidating in that sense they still had a sense of humor and a sense of enjoyment and a sense of love for the arts that so even a, a little old lady could come train in their class oh, or sure. some tough young guys could come train in their class. They had something for everyone. And that's what makes a complete martial art. And that, again, was one of the things Zhao Yuan said was you need to study Chinese martial arts on every level, from the philosophy, from the literature behind it, from the physical movements, from the healing, from the fighting. You need to touch all those areas. And you may not complete them all, but to see the real depth, all of those things must be present for a, a real martial arts style from um, China. Completely agree. So that's one of the the kind of uh, issues I think we might be seeing more in today's environment, mm. where people are so focused on, well, is it effective in the ring? Yeah. And we've got MMA, and like, yeah, yeah, of course, you know, it's it's not focused on a single perspective. That's exactly right. The, right. the the issue. And that's the beauty of it. I exactly. Think, and that's also the challenge of it for foreigners is like we want to put it in a box and understand it and reduce it down to its most essentials. I think that's maybe a feature of especially American culture where you try to take something big and squeeze out what's useful out of it and just take it, sort of Bruce Lee effect. But yeah. I think in the long run, Chinese martial arts will find its most use and relevance by preserving that full picture. And maybe as our fight world develops, say a few centuries, yeah, then maybe we'll need to call upon that depth and, and that way of life that's there above and beyond the fighting, which obviously, if you do martial arts, you've got to love that part too, because uh, that's yeah, for sure. the funnest part. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be a solid foundation, but don't don't uh, ignore the uh, the other aspects. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're life-enriching, and that's why these arts are lifestyle practices. They're not, they're not career in terms of I'm going to enter a combat sport practice, yeah. although you can take parts out of it for that. There's so there is value to that, yeah. too. There is value to the idea of, of the format of MMA and all of that. Simply, absolutely. Because it gives you oh, the absolutely. opportunity to draw parts out that you want to focus on. But, you know, people need to understand you're missing out the full picture if you only focus on one part. And, and as you get older and as you realize like these aspects of of training and their true value aspects like uh, the community in, in your mm -hmm. martial family the the mentorship that you get from the relationship with your with your teacher which mm -hmm. you know in chinese we call shirful which literally has mm. the has the character for father in it and there is mm -hmm. that relationship you know uh, these are aspects that are outside of the realm of what is the practical use of the of the art the the mental well-being that you get out of having a, a, a a discipline, but also a community of brethren or, you know, sisters, etc. That and you that, can... that community keeps you on track and has a, a connection to you. And as you're talking about that, I'm thinking of all the world's biggest problems right now of mental health issues, loneliness epidemic, people right. not having a reason to live in life. And I think Chinese martial arts throughout history has had that way of life attached to it to give people sometimes some of the more quirkier people in society find their way to Chinese martial arts because it's a, it's a home for whoever really dedicates themselves to it. And I, you know, again, some of the people I interviewed, maybe a guy in his eighties, he and I could share something that we both had this childish love for this martial art thing, even though our lives were completely different. He was from a completely different world for me. And yet on this thing, we could relate and there, we could share a connection that we never could have otherwise, right? Like there's yeah. these people out there who love it like you do, and you could be worlds apart 
but there's something really enriching about that. It gives you a reason to keep going because if all you want to do is, is just sort of win at whatever you're doing in this moment, you eventually find some hollowness there. So the, the relationships you're talking about, the connection to history, the connection to the philosophy, Culture. I don't know. I mean, I, some people think that's getting in the way, but for me, no. I don't know. That helps me stay interested and enjoy and keep out. And every day I go and train again and I need some inspiration and I need those other aspects help keep me exercising and keep me uh, busy and having fun. You know? Well, it also helps you to understand like learning, learning the perspectives that the martial arts uh, from whichever culture they, they come from, the perspectives of that culture helps you to understand people better. So if you can understand the mentality of Chinese people better through their the study of martial arts and by by that you've learned culture history philosophy etc that'll that'll help you in your day-to-day -day life when you're dealing with 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 different people for example yeah. so you you might have you might have been from a western perspective and and thought some some particular trait or behavior of a, of a Chinese person uh, be you know odd or unacceptable mm. or whatever but it's simply because you haven't understood where it's coming from mm. and just by learning this you you're gonna it's so it it's it's a society building exercise to understand mm -hmm. other cultures better not yeah a, and especially you know at the level that we do it in in martial arts it's it's you're gonna go quite deep into it i mean honestly speaking there's a level of of philosophy and culture within classical arts like Xingyi and bagua mm. that that even the chinese themselves don't know sure. until they start going right. deeper into it oh, yeah. and then they understand more about themselves you know i've seen yeah. that many many times so right it, just because you're a chinese descent doesn't mean you automatically somehow you know know this like it's a skill they have to develop like every, they know the cultural background and the language better but again the skill and the training hey everybody's got to earn that one day at a time well know? yeah exactly skill and, and knowledge is, is not hereditary you, right. everybody has to earn it and put in the time it doesn't matter whether you're born into chinese uh culture or not it's it's not going to uh, magically appear in your mind and your understanding until you yeah. dive deeper into it so well and, and when that brings up another thing that i was thinking about is you know i admire you for you know your love of chinese martial arts taking you to china learning the language participating in the culture directly you know a lot uh, for those of my friends and classmates who've done that they make a lot of sacrifices and they work really hard to go overseas, to train, to leave behind their normal, easy world to live in, to live in a different place and really get deep into this. And I, I, you know, as a young man, at some point I had the opportunities maybe I could have gone for, but I took a different path and, you know, became a very average citizen here. But I, I do admire you, Byron, for taking on that task and like bringing back information that other people outside China can help understand better and, so I just want to say, you know, the rest of us who weren't able to do that, we respect you guys for doing that and and making the sacrifices to be there and, and encounter Chinese culture directly. And in the long run, hopefully, again, helping helping us understand Chinese martial arts way better. So well, just wanted to well, shout that, for that out. But but don't don't sell yourself short because your book is one of the the the, the things that uh, sparked a a interest to go deeper. So, you know, <laughs> cool. and I, I don't think I'm alone in that. I think, like you mentioned, the, 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 the Bagua Zhang Journal, etc., mm. all of those art. There's a lot of people that, you know, that made these sacrifices to, to travel, whether exactly. it was short periods annually mm. or, or to move for a period of time. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we're just continuing on with that. Not everybody can do it. So I want to share whatever I can share. Absolutely. Appreciate so. it. And those of us back here totally appreciate it. And in the vein of a guy like, you know, Robert W. Smith, 
who wrote the original Chinese boxing book. And yeah. he really tried, did his best to like get deep into it. And so my book was an attempt to follow that book and other books like that. Also Bagua Journal, where we're translating. I felt like I want to go in that same tradition and, and just keep bringing up multiple perspectives. And I think, you know, what I often say about the book and whenever I talk about it is like, by the time I was done, everyone in the, every point of view had been both promoted and, and denigrated by each other. In other words, every teacher was opposite of one, at least one of the other teachers in the books. Right. And, and, and for, for the audience, it feels like that's an important thing to keep in mind when you're studying Chinese fine arts in general, probably, but especially Mm -hmm. martial arts where you may have a very authentic perspective that is different from somebody else's, but they're all under this same umbrella. So you can't say my martial art is the one that is most focused on doing everything right because you've got to understand like these other perspectives can also be right in their own way. So if someone says, I don't teach any sparring or someone else says sparring is the first thing I begin with, or we don't involve chi in our teaching whatsoever. And someone else said chi is the primary thing. And then Mm. there's everyone in between. So you end up with a very confusing mass which some people you know find really annoying i'm sure people in asia as well as people here find that confusing like couldn't we just get a straight answer out of these guys (laughs) but that's the trouble with art it's never going to be defined in the way sport can where you really have a final goal and a winner and a loser right right fine arts are never going to be that way and I'm, i'm glad my book captured that because by the time I, you're, you know, I felt one guy was persuading me. I'm like, he's totally right. And then the next guy would persuade me that he was right. So, right. you know, and you just come in full circle and realize you pick the directions that suit you best. Well, exactly. You can just listen to the information and then put the time in and your conclusion will be correct because it's your conclusion, you know. So you'll, you'll, find, you'll find the value in your own practice. So that's the other thing about, uh, you know, talking about martial arts mm. alone or talking, listening, understanding, and then putting the time into practice because you need that that experience and then yourself, you know, understanding something and getting to a certain point. Maybe your 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 experience through training will be slightly different even to your own kung fu brother in your own under the mm-hmm. same teacher. Right. So you get to a different point at the end. And that's okay, you know, you understand why you're at that point. And uh, you know, even if I compare my teacher to his his kung fu brothers, they've all got slightly different yep. quirks and abilities and focuses and and, but they all came from the same teacher, you know. So, yeah, yeah. So there the, you go. And that's one of the th- great things about being as a student is able to pursue your teachers, classmates, or your kung fu uncles and aunts who yeah. learned in previous generations. That's how you can go on that treasure hunt again and find the people who were there at a different era from you and what the, what was taught then and how that compares to now. And I've I've you know been lucky enough to you know a couple of the schools I've trained in over the years been able to meet you know uh, relatives from other directions. And that gives you a really invaluable triangulation of what your teacher taught you is to see what their you know his teacher taught his kung fu brothers mm. and just make those analyses and pick up little bits and pieces that. Uh, will work for you and still be part of that same art form. And uh, I don't know, those mentors are critical, right? Because learning from your own teacher is one thing, but you need older brothers, A, to beat you up and use the techniques on you because your teacher's not good. He's only going to be able to beat you up so much. You need, uh, you know, you need time outside of class to challenge and test and fight and try it out. And you need people who are better than you to show you how to do it right. And then then you go to other schools and other branches of the same art and see what they do. So I, I'm a big fan of visiting other schools. I've, I've always felt welcomed and 
always felt it's nerve wracking at first when you go and you feel like, oh, my God, what if I what if they don't like me or whatever? But right. I've always found, you know, so much so much friendship and there, uh, somebody always knows somebody who knows somebody. And I've traveled all over America, not the world, unfortunately, but here in the States, I, I seem to always have a friend in whatever city I go to is a, a friend of a friend or a or a school brother or whatever. So like. Right, you just right. if you keep that I've found that part of my journey is I do my own training but I've also found it really useful to go check in with hey my teacher had a classmate who lived x y or z maybe he had some students why don't I see if I can find them and send them mm. an email you know My whole life is a lie Are floppy chinese swords getting you down do you practice traditional Chinese martial arts but have difficulty locating and sourcing firm, solid steel training swords? Well, look no further. Available now on the Mushin Martial Culture online store are high-quality, custom-made, hard steel traditional training swords. Made from the highest quality materials, these swords have both the feel and weight distribution of traditional, authentic Chinese martial arts swords. Featuring high-quality scabbards, as well as the option to include a historically accurate handle wrap, this sword is built to last. Head on over to the Mushin Martial Culture online store to order yours today. Available as well on the store are other items, apparel, training shoes, and other unique Chinese martial arts merchandise. The URL is mushinmartialculture.com. Ditch the tin foil and get yourself a sword you can be proud of. Yeah. And you know, I, yeah, it's it's a it's it's a it's a very important part. I remember in the early days with my teacher. I remember one 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 weekend, and uh, somebody arrived, and uh, you know he seemed fairly advanced. And I was like, uh, uh, "Who is this guy? Is he a new student?" He's like, "No, no, no. He's Zhao Dayun's student." I said, "So why is he with? Why is he training here?" He said, mm. "When they want to learn Xing Yi, Zhao Dayun sends them to me. Uh. When they want, when when my students want to refine their China, they go to mm -hmm. Zhao Dayun, and that happened like numerous times. We had like wow. cross cross pollination between between the two, you know, the two of them. So, you know, it's that's it's, awesome. Yeah, and and you know, like you also get to see their their slightly different perspectives from Zhao Dayun when they come to mm -hmm. us, and and vice versa. So mm -hmm. it's great." And family relationships aren't always great. That happens. Oh, true. Oh, but true. but a lot of times, though, like an uncle will might see you in a more favorable light. He might have, you know, maybe he's they have some hard feelings with your teacher or whatever. But maybe you can still he'll recognize your love of the art too or whatever. So there's right. I don't know. It, it can't get complicated. But it's you're lucky to have that connect. You know, you're training in Beijing, you know, at the center of your martial arts. So you have that family there to rely on and who can um bring new fresh perspective to the art and that's man that's yeah. how it should be that's right, how i hope right. we can keep it because well i wanted to ask you a couple of questions i still want to get into your background of your own personal training but i want to i want to stay on the topic of the book oh you which year did you say the first edition was published when you first released it uh, 2002, it first came out. So that's, I mean, that's fairly early in, in the general picture of these Xingyi, Bagua, Taiji, Taiji more, not so much, but Xingyi and Bagua for sure. And, mm -hmm. and I want to ask you, like, how did you get, because I mean, you, it was published. So how did you get the publisher to agree to <laughs> this kind of a, I mean, at that time, and even the title, I'm pretty sure the publisher couldn't even try, uh, pronounce it. Like, <laughs> 
Meijiaquan. What is this? I mean, yeah, the sales meetings were weird. I mean, it was, uh, you know, my martial arts journey has always kind of connected with books because I'm kind of a book nerd, yeah. um, which you might relate to, it sounds like, too. Yeah. But, you know, all through high school and college, I was doing Aikido all the time. And I had been reading the Aikido books that were out at the time. And, uh, and, and I'd run across, and my, then I got into Chinese martial arts and my teacher gave me a copy of Chinese boxing because his teacher had been from Taiwan. So right. I, I, I was like, oh my God, these stories are awesome. Like I love the action and I knew that this was going to be for me. And so I found my way into it, but eventually I ended up, uh, do, getting a job with an internship with a publisher who had done a lot of these Aikido books and Chinese martial arts books, okay. the publisher of Chinese boxing, as well as uh, Aikido and the new warrior was one and a bunch of others that were groundbreaking at the time. Um, so that's what it was. I just applied for the internship, moved to Berkeley, started working for this guy and then ended up having a long career in publishing. Uh, mm. I think I started down there in 98. So I've, I'm still doing it today. So uh, it was an incredibly, you know, martial arts pretty much gave me the end to my whole career and my whole life and my right. whole family that I've raised. And so, you know, martial arts books have been a big part of that. So I was able to, I was an editor for the company at a certain, you know, I started off as an intern, but eventually got a job. And so I was able to work on a lot of the martial arts books that came through North Atlantic books mm -hmm. and the imprint snake, uh, blue snake books that they created. Um, so I got to work on like uh, Louis Swain's translation of Fu Zhang Wen's book and okay. his uh, and Yang Cheng Fu's book, T.T. Uh, T. Liang's uh, Steal My Art book. That's a great one. Right. Uh, Power of Internal Martial Arts by B.K. Francis, Barbara yeah. Davis, Taiji Chen Classics. These all came out in the early 2000s, sort of before the Internet took off when information was a little harder to find. So we published some really good translations of Chinese martial arts books, and I hope that what I wanted to do was close to that Bagua Jiang journal approach of let's look at the authentic text. Let's look at the actual books, not somebody's sort of idea of what they learned and them speaking. I want to see what the masters of the past spoke. And so let's use these authentic source documents and people were able to translate better. And now we had the way to print Chinese in books better. So that all happened. And along the way, my boss said, Hey, if you want to ever do a book, go ahead. So I was like, oh, really? wow. okay. So that was how the origin of my book was like, just we needed books to publish so he said go make one so i went and made it and just stumbled my way into a lot of the people in there and just it happened to just lucky chances where i happened to find people at the right time and right place and yeah. i had a great experience it really it really allowed me to wrap my mind around chinese martial arts much more and made connections i could go visit and train and it went a bunch you know with a whole bunch of very cool people and inspired me and so um, that's the story of my book. It was just my boss said do it, so I did it, and uh, I'm glad because now that I'm older, I couldn't do that anymore. You know, I wasn't mm -hmm. married, I had no kids. It was uh, I was going to visit a different martial arts school every night after work because when I first got to the Bay Area, you know, I lived in a very rural place before that and had very little exposure. So when I got to the Bay Area, there was a lot of Chinese martial arts available and a lot of martial arts of all different kinds. That was the beginning of the MMA golden age that we have now. So there were gyms everywhere and mm. um, Chinese martial arts school descended from the seventies and eighties that still existed, you know, and, and new more exciting groups. We, now that we had more contact with the mainland. So there were people coming to visit. Um, and, and during that time I was able to make contact with uh, Lo De Shu of Taiwan yeah. Um, who was teaching the Gao style Bagua. So every summer he was coming to the Bay Area, to East Bay and Berkeley there and putting on, you know, about two weeks of seminars. And uh, I had read about him in Bagua Zhang Journal. So 
you know, I saw the sign-up sheet. It said Low Day Shoe on the top, and there was a list of classes. And I just picked up the pen and put my name under every single one of those. Oh wow! That said, I'm signing up for all these. You know, like even if I don't do the whatever martial art, you know, their style. Like I just knew from from seeing the magazines that this was one of the guys that I just knew I had to get with because his articles were great. Like I'm sure you remember, like they right. had. It was just smart stuff. It was like you put your foot here and your hand there. It's nothing mystical needed. It was just very clear about angles and about directions. And his techniques looked a lot like the Aikido I had been learning, where you mm. you take a you know you sort of deflect the person and then you come back with a big chop across the neck or yeah. you know an, or an armbar from below. And like he just seemed to have those the momentum sort of techniques that I had been used to that I knew could work, but I couldn't mm. make work. I knew there was something missing. Like in Aikido, I just couldn't seem to like make someone fall down. They had to do it on their own. Right. And then when I got to Chinese martial arts, then I was able to learn how to knock people down as well. Yeah, I've never had a direct experience with Aikido myself, but I do. I do like 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 I'm a book nerd, so I do buy (laughs) books because I find even reading, you know, philosophies and perspectives from other martial arts can help you better understand things that you you know from from your own. I, I actually my Andrea Falk gave me a book. Mm. It's an Aikido book mm. that she said was quite interesting. Had some I, f- I forgot what it's called. I th- I've got mm. it here. It's in my bookshelf somewhere. Mm. I think it's called the Dynamic Sphere. Nah, or... that's the best one. Right, right. That's the best one. That's the one from the seventies with the little illustrations in it. Right, right. And I really yeah. enjoyed reading that book, that even though awesome. I've never practiced it. You know, so I, I mean, look at those throws. Don't they have? I mean, so many of them have that. Kobu Baibu type of exactly. turning with them and the big arm movements that they use are so similar to Bagua throwing and chopping techniques and I don't know they're really no no exactly so exactly so together so that's what I that was the first thing that struck out at me it was like oh those techniques are very familiar you know some of the concepts and even the methods are identical and then and then the philosophy and the way they explain certain aspects I'm like oh there's some overlap there too so it was really interesting it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a very interesting experience. Uh, of the Japanese experience. martial arts, it's got some some similarities in footwork that uh, as a kid, they have, you know, just for instance, one of them is Taino Henko, they call it, where you you take a, you take a, what we would call a kobu step, and then mm. you turn the other direction and do a baibu. Then you right. do, that front foot does a kobu, then you turn around and do a baibu. So they're, it's a straight line, but it's the exact same footwork. that. And then when I saw, you know, in the park, I saw a guy doing these circles, and I looked at that and I thought, man, there's something about that that looks, that's that's kind of looks like what we kind of do. And I like I like this better. So, uh. and that led me to pursuing Chinese martial arts, and then finally realizing I needed to go where more teachers are available. So that's what drew me to the Bay Area and uh, and doing my book. And then ever since, I've just been lucky enough to have friends to train with. And and like I said, Lodesh Yu, you know, a, a magnificent guy, a wonderful, kind teacher, and also very uh, his physical skills were just everything that I had been reading about. And just, you know, just when I got my skeleton just rattled, I realized, wow, someone, this is the type of stuff that Chinese martial arts is about, using very efficient uh, movements where your whole body power hits them at, at a, you know, you use your whole body against a small point on their body. Exactly. In a very natural, intuitive way. So it wasn't like one, two, three type of techniques he just had the way of just when you touched him and you shove in one direction he would just instantly be sweeping the other way and that's a hallmark of bagua people who are good where every direction you you launch into them ends up coming back around at you in a in just a very intuitive quick non-thinking type of way that's built in that 
I became very enamored of and wanted to try to achieve for myself. So when you when you uh, signed up for his classes with you were just speaking about that that one particular instance, had you done Bagua before? Yeah, my first teacher had taught me um, uh, up here in the Redwood region of Northern California, sort of a university town that I'm from, Arcata. And uh, there, you know, the university towns, there's always some martial arts people here and there, but he was sort of a martial arts hippie, you might say, who had mm. learned back east. Um, and his teacher's in my book, Gabriel Chin, that I was okay. able to go talk to. But he had, uh, you know, he had learned the forms of Taiji. And so we, he had taught me and my friend the Taiji two person form because we were teenagers who couldn't learn the solo form but the two-person mm. form we were able to concentrate on and then then he then i learned the bagua from him as well because that's what i was really interested in after seeing him do it but it since it was just forms mm. it, we learned some push hands and i was able to start to really get a sense of tai chi's uh, body mechanics because doing japanese martial arts i had grown up screwing up my knees you know oh. twisting things too fast jumping you know getting off the ground in a not a very effective way and once i did tai chi i learned how to move my knees in the right direction right and learn how to keep my spine straight and learn how to keep my weight centered things that no one had ever explained to me before and so i, I doing that inside bagua at a high you know you're moving much more quickly and you're still using those same alignments from then on i was able to do a lot of type of martial arts and sports without hurting myself even if i never practiced before i was able to hold my own because those core mechanics of of tai chi and bagua and all chinese martial arts in general for the most part they those served me well as i as i got to visit and train other styles but he didn't teach me anything about really fighting mm. and coming from aikido cooperative background i, I you know you always wonder like what if i really chop somebody would it work because you never get a chance to right right so do you recall what uh, what style of bagua you were learning then well, that was interesting because his teacher had given him a lot of notes and he had like his teacher, Gabriel, would write down these notes in Chinese. And then my teacher, Chris, would write down, they he would talk to him. And so they would do these sessions where he'd write down English beneath it and we'd go through it. Mm. And he wrote down all the, the palm changes, even though Bagua wasn't his specialty. He did write on the palm changes, at least, but mostly Tai Chi and Qigong was his thing. OK, but uh, but his system. Well, all that Gabriel said is that he learned he'd learned Tai Chi growing up in mainland China, but in Taiwan after the war, he learned Bagua from uh, some political relationship because he was a uh, fairly high ranking in the the Kuomintang. Okay, he learned it from a, a you know one of those relationships that you have uh, maybe an equal type of level guy who he said he gave us this. Uh, photocopied beaten old book that had it was like ninth tenth generation photocopy so you could barely <laughs> read it but it was sunji kun's book oh uh, okay and he said yeah. this is the style that we do it comes from the same school but it's not sunji kun himself that my teacher learned it from he said all all the palm changes are the same except number seven of ours is different yeah and when i looked through the book even then i could you know actually these are pretty dang similar so right. i know it's chang style bagua but other than that you know it's one of those broken links from from the war that well, of, you know, of millions of broken links that were never repaired. The thing is that, you know, people think, oh, I do Chung style. So all Chung style looks the same. That's not even mm. true. Mm. I mean, I've, I've interacted with Beijing Chung people from two mm. different lineages and their mm. palm changes are not the same. Uh -huh. oh, so oh. so it, it, like, if you go to Sun Jun 
or oh. if you go to Liujing Ru, there's uh-huh. there's differences, Quite but they oh, they're true. both directly connected to right. the Chung family. I mean, exactly. and, and at a at a very close level. Right, they're the highest level you can be, and yeah. yet theirs are slightly different. And they're so different. So do? yeah, exactly. And the Chung style spread all over the place, so everybody's sets are different. And I've never met anyone who had the exact same set as this. Right. But it ha- it starts with. Don Huan Zhang, Shuang Huang Zhang, yeah, Sun yeah. Shi Zhang, the same first same names. They always begin yeah, with yeah, yeah. Even so even in Liang style, we have that like the same oh, names, yeah? like our uh, Dan Huan Zhang, our first palm change uh-huh, of uh-huh. the mother palms. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a turn back to Chuan Zhang. That's our Dan Huan Zhang. Uh-huh. Whereas other styles have Dan Huan Zhang, and it's something else. You know, it's that uh-huh, uh-huh. wrapping in and an overturning and turning back, right? So I mean, and so that makes you think that Dong Hai Chuan must have called it that, but uh, the words came down, but everyone's use of the words may have changed over time in different groups. Oh, completely. So like, here's an example. When I was uh, asking about my teacher about why is it called shuang and dan? Okay, I get the dan, mm. single palm change, right? Yeah. You okay. turn around, we change palms from one side to the other with a chuan Okay, okay I get it. And then why shuang huan dan? Like double palm change. And if you go, if you look at the liang style, like our shuang is quite complicated compared to mm. the first. There's quite a few techniques in there. And he's like, in our in our understanding, Shuang combines upper body and lower body actions. So Dan is the upper body action on its own. When we get to Shuang, we start combining up and down. So the double there oh. is that you're use, you're doing a palm change, but the up upper body and the lower body are both doing actions. And you can see that in our in our uh, second palm change. So that's an interesting perspective, and it doesn't mean that it's the only perspective. Right, right. So, but because other it is, people will say it means now you're using both of your hands simultaneously. Exactly. It's a, that's the more maybe the more common way, but that's interesting to to think of dividing the top and bottom as right the two of Schwung. Yeah. Right. So, so there is there's value to to it, even though it might be different uh, from a different perspective. So yeah, it's and I love that history. I love Bagua Journal really helped all of us get a sense of the different main groups you know obviously it didn't come close to being comprehensive but just knowing you know they, they have a list of words that's similar to our list of words but some of their words are different and why and right. you know how each person translates the different ways of expressing the power the different techniques over time it's it's just so fun to encounter them at different levels and in, increase your own understanding by seeing how how each each group interprets the uh the meanings yeah i mean that, that's another book that was like a treasure trove or uh, you know uh, the the journal, and I remember mm. getting the the CD. So mm-hmm. you, you, with all finally, and, yeah, and then all <laughs> the missing ones. There were but, always you two know, or three that you couldn't find. Exactly. So for me, it was I, I don't like to read digital books, so I literally printed them out and had them bound. So I've got <laughs> right. all of them printed out there you go. in my bookshelf. You know, they're yeah. bound. I had it done. I had it done here, in fact, because it's a lot easier to get that yeah. kind of thing done here. So it was bound and yeah, printed and. You know, I, I don't even know where the CD is. I don't even have a CD drive. So that's the other nope. issue. There they so, go. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I'm a book person myself. It's just so much easier to flip through and find what you want and yeah, stumble across things that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. But, you know, this new generation will have to figure it out on their own. I just I just fear that if things are a little too easy to find and the secrets aren't as interesting as they used to be, right. that might reduce their enthusiasm. They may not dream of traveling to Beijing the way you did and, and make make their dreams come true. They may think, eh, I learned it on Skype already. Why should I go? You yeah. know, or but you know, that's their challenge. They'll have to find a way to keep that keep it alive because 
Well, you I know, just, I'll, I'll say this, uh, you know, even though talking about the newer generation and the changes in mentality and the, you know, the, the, the kind of we can say that the less interest in Chinese martial arts in general, I kind of have had experiences with people that left Chinese martial arts to go pursue other, you know, more directly applicable combat arts. And, you know, they never practiced their Chinese martial arts for while they were doing that. They kind of gave up on it for mm -hmm. about two, three, four years, mm -hmm. you know. And then yeah. suddenly they'll contact me after four years or five years. Like, I want to get back into it. Yeah. I'm like, but aren't you doing Thai boxing? He's like, yeah, I'm kind of over it. And yeah. I, I kind of I kind of realized all the other value that I had in the Chinese martial arts, oh. you know, and, and then they come back to it. So there is that, too. And I think that's yeah. natural. So that that will happen one way or the other. Yeah. And everyone who's taught for a while knows that people disappear for long stretches and pop back, back up out of nowhere. You'd least expect it. And their love for it continues. And I, I think one of the things that Tim Carmel said in my book that runs true to me was like your first Tai Chi lesson should make you a better fighter. Mm. I mean, I was like, whoa, really? Because don't you have to do it for 10 years? Like, no, the first, I mean, why are you paying the guy? The first lesson, the Should sense have something. of re relaxation, the sense of awareness, that's uh. going to help you. So even if someone only comes to one lesson, that could give them something to think about and learn and work on for the rest of their life if they never return. So I think yeah. there's, these seeds get dropped of, like I was saying about the Tai Chi alignments that I found so amazing and invaluable. Someone told me them and I... If no one had ever told me that, I don't know if I ever would have noticed that my knee was cocked the wrong way and screwing up yeah. every time I was I was you know taking these type of steps and so on and yeah. So you you never know like someone maybe training for twenty years isn't for everybody. Maybe it is just a few of us who really do take it to that sort of extreme. But everyone gets something out of it. Dragon body, tiger spirit: a translation and explanation of the classic texts of Xingyi Quan is available now. This critically acclaimed work presents, translates, and explains the core classical texts of the art of Xing Yi Quan, many of which have been utilized by other arts, including Tai Chi Quan, Bagua Zhang, and others. Available in hardcover, softcover, and ebook versions. Get your copy today from MushinMarshallCulture.com or from Amazon. Take your practice to the next level with Dragon Body tiger spirit well you know it's also interesting is that even people that only did a cursory uh like stint in learning chinese martial arts it kind of changes them permanently in one form or the other i was just mentioning before we started that my neighbor across the way it's a new neighbor uh they moved in this year uh sorry la end of last year so um and on previous episodes of the podcast, some people may have heard some drilling and some noise because <laughs> they were doing renovations. You know, they they had they were they were moving in and they were redoing the apartment uh, next door. But when I first met the guy, I was like, "There's an air of this guy." I kind of get the feeling of a martial artist, right? So, but I never really mm. I never really broached the subject or whatever. <laughs> and then last night they were like, "Okay, come over for we've got family over." Where they called me and my wife to go over for oh. Chinese New Year's Eve and. We ate and of course we started drinking and then we started to get to know each other. And uh, he asked me about what I do and I just, you know, I'm mostly I'm involved in Chinese martial arts. And he said, oh, really? What do you practice? I'm like, Xingyi and Bagua. I was like, oh, Xingyi, Pids Wan Bong Pao Hong. I'm like, what? Uh -oh. yeah. He's like, yeah, I learned a little bit of that and, and I did some Shui Jiao in my youth. Um, oh, you know, right. he's retired now. And uh -huh. he said, not too seriously, but I learned. 
And I was like, I know when somebody says not too seriously. With me. <laughs> you know, I know what that means. Because then Cold he's like, he, yeah, then he says, then he says to me, you know, even up until now when he is at work even, because he works for a big uh, uh, state company, he's worked for them his whole life. And he said, you know, at times when I have a, a, a break period at, at work, I would go out to the area and do some sun t-shirt. And then he started doing pee and zwan. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you see, you see, even if you don't go too deeply into it, there's something there that, that, yeah. that changes you forever. And he says when he would, yeah. when he'd feel physically, um, exhausted and mentally exhausted, that's what he'd go and do. And, you know, he's, he's, he's not claiming to be a master high right. level, whatever, but you right. know, it, it gave him that value. But like I said, I, I kind of picked that up just by meeting him, you know. And previously, I was just like, oh, there's something. Uh, I get the, the air of somebody's done some martial arts. Sometimes you get that arts. vibe, yeah, for sure. And I've had that ex ex even with myself. I'd be in a store somewhere, and then somebody would look at me and say, uh, you do kung fu, don't you? I'm like, what? <laughs> I was buying milk. Where, where, where did that come from, you know? so It is a fraternity of sorts where, yeah. you know. Yeah. Sometimes you you can sort of feel it coming. Yeah, it's funny. So we spoke about your initial teacher, which was up in Northern California. Yeah, you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. And then where, where did you go when you moved on to Berkeley? Where who did you end up going to, and and what did you well, end up doing? In Berkeley, I was able to train a couple different schools. I, I had a great experience training with uh, Vince Black's Tang Shu Dao group for a little while. Right. Got to meet some of those guys and got uh got a good knocking around from them, and then. Uh, you know, I, I was doing, uh, I, like I said, I was, I was 25 at the time. And so after, after work, I would go get a cup of coffee, lay in my car for a while. And then around six or seven, go visit whatever school I had targeted. Yeah. Um, and so most nights of the week when I didn't have some other class, I would go to an Aikido school or a Kung Fu, usually the, you know, Asian martial arts that I like the best. Right. Um, so I was able to, especially in the East Bay, visit a lot of different groups and, you know, make contact with some really cool people, but, you know, mostly for just short periods. But again, you know, I was able to uh, get in, get into Lode Shoes training. So during the year, we would train as a group of friends. Ah. And then every summer he would come and, and ho you know, the seminars would go on and everybody would gather from all around and put on some some really great long classes that were just long training days where his style of teaching involves, you know, just repeating basics Ben gong uh, mm. over and over then repeating forms over and over then repeating applications over and over and his uh, he will just pile it on in the traditional chinese way of just overloading you and once you start getting good at something jump to the next thing so you're never <laughs> you never get a chance to completely memorize or get it perfect yet uh, onto the next thing and especially right. that gal style is quite large it's got the yeah. 60 straight line forms and just a, a mass of Gong exercises that go with it and sets of entries and sets of, you know, throwing ideas and just, you know, so there's groupings of different types of training within it that are just extensive. Like a lot of Bagua schools, there's mm. just plenty to do. So all year long, we would be, you know, and I had a great group of friends where we train a couple nights a week and just follow his approach of like, do 10 sets of this set and then do 20 applications of all the ones he taught us on each, each side. And then between us, we were able to remember a lot of it. So we had four or five of us who could all ah, good. Uh, rely so like, on each yeah, other's class, memory. Would, and at the end of class, we'd always film ourselves doing it afterwards out in the parking lot to try and make sure we remember everything. And so I think a, a little bit, the unhealthy side of it is we tried to remember every single thing he taught us. Well, that's right. asking too much. Maybe, 
maybe it's better to just stick with the ones that stick in your mind. But I always felt like, again, I don't know if I'm ever going to get a chance to train with this guy again. He lives across the world. So I had to make squeeze every drop out of that training. So in that process, you know, we were able to train uh, up until 2019 was his last visit. Um, So basically 20 years, every summer he'd come and we would train and then, you know, I was lucky enough to go to Taiwan and train there, and he also trained at other places in the States I was able to visit. So I was able to um, get a good sense, even as a seminar student, you know, which is yeah. not the ideal way to learn by any means. Like, Well, it's still he, better than nothing. Right. So, and, and I had enough friends around that we could say, hey, did he do it like this or like that? Or did he grab it right here or grab it like that? No, no, his hand was over here. Like, So between us, we'd settle on the way we'd agree on, and then... Yeah. Um, do the application. So I think, you know, having a group of friends to train with is one of the best things you can get in Chinese martial arts because it, it a lot of the training is done on your own, but having friends who are into it too makes it so much more fun because then oh, you've well, got inspiration it. and you can bounce the ideas off each other. And I, you know, it's kind of, it can be lonely in Chinese martial arts, especially if you're pursuing an esoteric weird style like Bagua that's not everywhere. Mm. So you might, you kind of, and then you know it doesn't it doesn't attract it sometimes those of us who do chinese martial arts are more of the bookish type at times who who are naturally more reserved or whatever but if you can find friends to train with it's gonna make everything you do a lot better and a lot funner and you get get you improve a lot more totally and also you can rely on each other's memories Mm -hmm. that's one of the things i remember once again when i was um interacting with my various uh, bagua uncles um the differences between them in terms of uh, like memorization, even from their their learning with Li Ziming. So my teacher was the one who they'd rely on because he's the one who would always be record keeping. So he had this habit, which I inherited, of taking, <laughs> he takes notes. Yeah. To this day, I mean, he's old, and to this day, he has a daily journal. There's uh, a daily diary. He's had that since he was a kid. Right. He's got He's got piles of them. So he'll remember like, oh, when did I first teach this student? And you'll think, oh, I was this year. And he'll go back and find it in, in, the, in, in his diary entries. Oh, on this day, mm-hmm. this guy came wow. from this country and his initial thoughts of the person, right? Uh-huh. So, and, and the difference between him and the other martial uncles, you know, in that regard, he would be the one that'd be like, oh, what was the next technique? We've kind of forgotten. He'd be like, hold on. Ah, it's this. It's, it's not that. It's this, you know. I'm so. a notebook person too, man. I yeah. I got into that from in when I was in college. And for some reason, I always felt like in Bagua Journal, I would say traditionally the teacher would let you copy one page at a time out of his book. Mm. And so to me, that inspired me to think, well, I'll just keep writing down things. And I ended up. Again, maybe it's a little obsessive. Maybe it's not 100% healthy to write everything down, but I I always felt drawn to doing it that way. And so in my book, like in my book, I would record the teacher saying things about his life or about mm. his friendships or his schoolmates. I'd also write down the techniques in the forms, but I also wanted to write down their personality and little tidbits and funny stories they told or fight stories and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, in my my notes and books and my journals have some pretty funny stuff that I can go back and, oh, you remember that time and this and you know, some of the the great ch- conversations you have in in Chinese martial arts when you're sitting around after class that uh, you forget. But I like if I can write a few stories down, I always try to do that. Yeah, I mean here like I remember my teacher even telling me like, uh, 
He was he had been doing his his primary teacher was Zhao Zhong who taught him when he was a kid and then when mm. he became a teenager started teaching him Xing Yi. Uh, when he was young, obviously he didn't teach him Xing Yi, but then he started teaching him Xing Yi when he was a bit older. Mm-hmm. And then my teacher told me that you know as he got older, then he'd go around to the various parks and public places where people were training and have little you know uh, tests with mm-hmm. ra- random people every now and then. Yeah. So and this is when I asked him why why did you start doing Chuo Jiao Fan Zichuan. Huh. You know, and uh, he told me, well, I went to and I had this exchange with this guy and he kicked me a few times. And I was like, geez, I, that footwork is really good. And the, uh-huh. he, and he asked him, what is he doing? He's like, George Alfonso. So he went back to his teacher. He's like, uh, I think I want to learn some, some George Alfonso. And uh, he's like, okay, well, my good friend will be low, you know? So he's like, I'll take you to him. And uh, he took him to meet Wubinlo. Now, Wubinlo is a legend in Chuo Fanza. He's like the primary guy who was disseminating the art in Beijing, you know. And uh, he even, even went to Japan uh, in the early you know, years of the 1900s to do a performance for the emperor's birthday and beat up wow. a few of the, the Japanese uh, martial <laughs> artists there. He didn't know because, again, if you know Wubinlo's personality... He didn't know that it was impolite and it was just a, you know, a friendly kind of exchange, but he beat oh, the no. guys up in front of the Japanese emperor and he was oh, like, oh. and they wanted him to stay. And he was like, no, nah, I'm getting back on the boat and going home. They wanted him to stay to teach. But, you know, my teacher recounted the story of his teacher taking him to meet Wubin Lo. Yeah. And, you know, you know, back in those days, I don't know if you know, during the, 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 the bad days of yeah, uh, yeah. the communist economy, course, yeah. um, they had they had coupons. So you couldn't yeah. you didn't like, oh, I want to buy uh, this. And therefore, you if you've right. got the money, you, you if you didn't have coupons for a particular thing, a ticket, you don't get to buy it. Yeah. You, you see, that's the thing. And and my, my teacher was poor. He told me exactly he has it written down. He exactly how much money he spent oh my goodness to pay for the meal he remembers what was bought you know um you know this piece of cake was like 12 cents or something and uh, and this and that it was a lot of money he paid for the meal and uh, his teacher said uh, to Wubinlo you know my student wants to learn uh Alfanza from you and Wubinlo said okay well I accept and uh, then then my teacher's Zhao Zhong, his teacher, told him, all right, so this is now your second shifu. Get on your knees and kertou, you know. Put, wow. Put, and he did it right there. And then that, from then he started learning. He didn't go too deep. I mean, Chuo Jiao Fanz is a massive system. Is so, it? Okay. Yeah, it's massive. I've never experienced it firsthand, but that's a famous Chinese martial arts style. Well, you know, it's a combination of two. They've got Chuo Jiao sets and Fanza sets. That's ah, the, it's oh it's boy. massive. It, I oh, mean, geez. I don't. I have no idea how people like Wu Bin Lo memorized and remembered all of that. But they were professional martial artists, so that's mm. basically that's basically all they had to do. But it was massive, and you know, my teacher recounts when he started learning from him, he'd 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 cycle out to. Um, they they train in the front part of the Forbidden City. Back then, you could, you know. And uh, in the mornings, and he'd go there before work. So early hours of the morning, he'd ride his bicycle out there. And every time he got there, because Wubin Lo's wife had passed away, he was a widow, and uh, widower rather. And um, he he had he'd find his teacher there no matter what time he arrived. Even if he's like, I'm going to be the first student there, he gets there. Yeah. And like, nope, his teacher's there kicking away. And he's like, all right, you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to get up before the sun even gets up and, and arrive. And he gets to the Forbidden City. And the sun, it's not even, it, it's still dark. 
And he's like, oh, I'm first. And then he hears pa-pow, pa-pow. And there's, <laughs> there's Wu Bin Lo. He's already there training, you know. So, yeah. And these little anecdotes and these little stories are great. Because they just yeah. give you a perspective and an inspiration, you know. So Yeah. Yeah. And how hard people work to, to work on these skills and preserve these skills. I mean, I'm mostly, especially in my advanced age, you know, I can get an hour of training in per day if I make sure I get it in my, uh, you know, at all the right times. But these guys were on a whole nother level at the early part of the 20th century when they were really cultivating this stuff. And you realize that, man, this, the guys who were good at this were training at a level that aren't the same as what the average me type person is training now right right and also the sacrifices they had to make like i said you know my my teacher was working in a factory you know as many people did but you'd think oh okay well i've got a hard day's work and i'm working i'm not gonna no they'd get up in the morning right and go train for two hours before work and then after work they train again so you know this this was this was their life you know And and they made sacrifices they weren't they, they weren't making money out of this. They, they were getting small salaries. China was poor, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting So, insight. I mean, we got to respect that. I mean, it leaves us in a weird position of, you know, some of the teachers I've had had a very high bar. They believe that you should be striving to perfect this. Mm. And I, I'm an average guy with an average job and a family and stuff, and I know I could never give my whole life to it. So I never, you know, I... I feel like I don't want to let down previous generations who worked extra hard because I do do I make sure I practice every day, but some of those mm. days are shorter than others because of my responsibilities. And yet Chinese martial arts is known for the, having this high level of you should, the, you have a, a de- you know, fulfilling your potential in Chinese martial arts requires an absolutely massive foundation of hard work to put into that. And the guys who did it, they have a very, uh, I don't, I don't want to say there's an arrogance, but it's more like a high standard of, you know, this is something that isn't to be taken lightly. Mm. Um, and that may, you know, so I'm, am I, I'm not training at that level. So I feel like, am I letting them down? But in the long run, I think it takes everybody to be part of it. There's the people who only come once in a while. There's the people who do train, but not a ton. And then there's the people who sacrifice everything to make it their whole life, which right. is pretty much the, the the position you're in. And it takes all of us because like all those other people like it too. And so you can all go to dinner together with all those people, right? Yeah. And we're you all know, part of the same community. It's just got to, you got to, you know, make martial arts part of your life. Like even if you can't make it your total 100% focus of your life, if you're doing it, you know, daily as, as best as you can, whether that's an hour, uh, even if today you don't have an hour, you've got 35 minutes and that's all you can put in. Hey, that's still good. You know, that's still right. the, the consistency over a long period is more important than the intensity over a short period. Mm-hmm. So so that that's the, the value of, of these practice. Like I said, it's got to be a lifestyle practice. It's got to be, yeah. you know, my, many times people would ask at training my teacher, they'd ask him, how often and how much should I train? Mm. And he'd say, it's like eating. And mm. they'd be like, what? He's in Chinese, literally. That's literally his words. Like, what do you mean it's like eating? He's like, well, you eat every day, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you don't need to eat too much or too little. Mm. You need to just eat enough. And some go. days enough is more than uh-huh. other days. And then that's it. Yeah. So yeah, just that's a good way to put it. like eating. That's it, you know. 
So yeah, that's how. And sometimes you, f- I find myself sometimes I'm a little bit busy in the one day, and I didn't put in the time of uh, training that I wanted to. But I'll find a slot, and I'm like, all right, cool. I'll go do some nagong for about forty five minutes, right? You know, and maybe that's all I got away with that day because something popped up and interfered with the, with my yep. plans for the next training session in the day. But that's just how it goes. Uh, you know, you can't wait for perfect weather mm-hmm. before you leave the house you right go. so you got to just deal with it there as it go. comes if you need an umbrella today take an umbrella if you don't need an umbrella but you need sunblock well then put on some sunblock that's just how your training should be it should adapt to whatever happens in your life as best as you can so, pretty much yeah. and i guess my takeaway is that there is room for everybody and even though chinese martial arts do have sky high expectations and a standard that's untouchable of the generations previously Still, all we can do is toil away one day at a time and then do That's our it. part as best we can and enjoy our training and our friendships. So exactly. as long as that goes on, I think Chinese martial arts can continue and continue to contribute. No, I agree completely. Well, I'd like to get back to a couple of questions with regards to your experiences after you wrote the book. Mm. Um, I'm sure going through the process of interviewing these teachers, as you mentioned, there were perspectives, insights and ideas that were new. Um, did any did you find from the time you published the book and did those interviews and then going forward through your training life, did you find that um, it affected your perspective and certain aha moments as you after the, the, the publication of the yeah. book? Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I think, you know, any... And when you're, I was lucky enough, to, my boss sort of allowed me to, he gave me the space to do this project. Obviously, he didn't give me any money to do it, but I went out and found the people. Yeah. And by having that exposure all sort of over a couple year period, um, I think it really was valuable to my training going forward. I mean, A, I made a lot of friends, but B, having that perspective of, of all the different uh, ways you can approach Chinese martial arts. It was kind of like a crash course. I just got overloaded with all the different ideas that people were throwing around. And that allowed me to feel like I could pick and choose the ones that made sense to me and pursue the directions that made sense to me. So, right. you know, in my training with Lodeshu, I, I identified that this type of fluidity in motion, the intuitive way of responding, the way every time his body made contact, it didn't matter what part he was using, it would thump with the full force and then swiftly circle around to hit from the other direction with, you know, and conserving the force between every strike. The right. way he used his legs to sweep while he's controlling your hands, the way he would change from one direction to another in a way that just would absolutely create whiplash. And my Aikido training pretty much allowed me to survive because taking these oh, yeah. bagua throws are just absolutely lightning speed feet in the air slamming on the on the a lot of times hardwood floor but hopefully on mats that again that cross training allowed me to survive that so i was able to be the person to step up and take some of those throws and learn from that if i hadn't had previous experience um i wouldn't have been able to take those throws and learn those and so anyways all that is to just to say in your martial arts journey, don't be afraid to reach out and find other schools and other classmates and other people either in your style or outside styles. It's intimidating at first, and it can be scary to walk in that door and introduce yourself and say, hey, you know, I do stuff. I want to see what you guys do. Yeah. And I think it just that experience served me well in in learning as I went. And you can't 
people don't, you know, I agree. There is the side of like, I don't want to pollute what I know with someone else's thing. I want to get good at it first. And there's something to be said for that. But at yeah. the same time, don't worry about that. If what you're doing is good, you're not going to pollute it and damage it. It's all it's going to do is open your horizons and give you some new people to try your skills out. And you know what? You might get beaten in their school a few times, but after you learn their rule set and how they exactly. do it, you might just find yourself doing okay with what you already know. And that was my experience. I hadn't done any sparring, but you know, I tried karate speed sparring where you just touch. And then yeah, I yeah, did yeah. some full contact with kickboxing rules with gloves and shin pads. And you know, I was able to hold pads in Muay Thai and feel the power there and exchange some sparring blows there. And I, you know, I when I went to visit Tim Carpell in Southern California, I got grappled and choked and twisted up into pretzel. And exactly, you know, yeah. I mean, and all those were great experiences. You get it's it can be intimidating, but it's always worth it to go outside your comfort zone, check out what other people are doing, and sooner or later you'll realize what you've got can actually. It's better than you thought, maybe. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, that's uh, an anecdote from my own experience. I started doing jujitsu here uh, in some senses because of, uh, you know, some of the ideas I gleaned yeah. from Tim, Tim Cartmel's experience. Okay, yeah. So I, I sought out a teacher here. He was a, a, an American. He was actually the first black belt to start teaching in, in Beijing. Oh. Um, he had been here for a very long time. And uh, I sought him out. His name is Chet Quint. He was an old school teacher. Uh, he actually studied with Pedro Sauer. Pedro Sauer was one of the first. Uh, if you've ever seen that YouTube video of the old Gracie fights, there was mm. a, a a bodybuilder fighting one of the old Gracie guys. His name was, um, I think it was Mr. Utah. Anyway, he was a bodybuilder and, and this little guy, you know, uh, triangled him, I think. Uh -huh. yeah, that that was Pedro Sauer. But, you know, that was like no holds bar. They were punching whatever. And he sure. was so that's that's who this guy that I studied from got his training through. So he's an older okay. generation. So when I went to yeah. meet him, I, I, that was just me. Like you know, firstly I wanted to have fresh bodies to try throw and do do stuff on outside of my direct uh, group mm -hmm. of training brothers. And I thought you know let's see what this jujitsu stuff is all about. And my first day there, I didn't know you know much of the floor stuff. That's completely new. But I had body mechanics, movement, and a mm -hmm. basic, you know, from from the Chinese martial arts. And I remember there was a we started doing the sparring session of the of the class, and and this uh, guy who had been there for a while, I think it was a blue belt, and um, I started sparring with him, and it was my first day. I've never done this, and he he starts trying to do his thing, and I just you know reacted intuitively, and the next thing I'm on his back, and I'm basically choking, and I just <laughs> I just. I just remember him turning his head back and looking at me with this complete shock on his face. Like, <laughs> what the hell just happened? And I was like, yeah, you see these, you'll find that these, there's aspects, even if it's a completely different practice that carry over. Sure. And, and then you realize, okay, so that's what this is really about. Some of these aspects that are universal. Mm. So, and, you know, oddly enough, when, when I got to talking to the teacher there, he said, oh, you do Chinese martial arts. He, he said, he does too. I said, oh, really? What do you do? He said, well, mostly mostly Zhao, but he's done mm. some other stuff too. He was very interested in, in Zhao. And I said, he asked me what I did when I said Bagua. Uh, I said, oh, okay. Uh, do you know Zhao Dayuan? I'm like, oh, he's my uncle. What a small world, you know? He's <laughs> like, oh, really? He's your he's, he's your uncle? He's... I said, how do you know him? He said, well, he learned uh, from Li Baoru, which is the legend of, of, of mm. Zhao, then basically 90-year-old... Uh, the guy who you probably seen China, Beijing's ageless wrestler. He was one of the okay. pioneers. 
Anyway, he he started doing Shuaijiao with Libaru, and Libaru used to teach and train outside of Tiantan. He always has the Temple of Heaven, mm. and that's where Zhao Dayuan was also teaching. Which is actually where Zhao Dayuan teaches was classically very close to where Cheng Tinghua used to teach. Wow. So, anyway, so um, lot small said, world in Beijing. Yeah. apparently it's a huge city, but China well, yeah, it's a small world. Exactly, exactly. And he said when when he was with uh, when he went to meet Li Baoru, Li Baoru talked to him and said, "Oh, now I'm gonna take you to meet somebody else in this park." And he's the he's 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 one of two people in the park who actually know how to fight. And he's like, "Who who are you gonna take me to see?" Zhao Dayuan. So then, <laughs> Chet, my my teacher says says to Li Baoru, "So so if he's the one of two people who knows how to fight, who's the other one?" And Li Baru just looks at him with this like ridiculous look on his face, like me, of course. Who the hell do you think I'm talking about? <laughs> if you enjoy the Drunken Boxing Podcast as well as all the other Mushin martial culture endeavors, please do support us if you can at patreon.com. We have two support tiers there that you can pledge to to help us continue to do the work that we do and continue to bring you the podcast as well as all our other works. If you would like to make a once-off tip or donation to our endeavors, please visit the link listed in the show notes or scan the QR code here. Thank you to everyone who supports us. No, so uh, great little there's episode. that high standard of Chinese martial arts. Where, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, uh, it, praise is hard to find and compliments are few. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, I mean, so I, I found that the for me, the... the um, experience of even going down the grappling route has really helped mm. because we don't we, oh, do, we do a lot of china we do a lot of throws mm. but we don't do stuff that's floor yeah. dedicated so it's, it's a very interesting addition you know oh, so absolutely no a critical component right i mean i think it's a whole art of its own that you know chinese martial arts doesn't usually focus on but i think it's well worth studying and something the most anybody who wants to do martial arts should have some at least passing knowledge of what to do on the ground because it's a real thing, and if you're not trained in it, you're helpless. So you yeah, got to do yeah. something with it for sure, yeah, at least. For sure, for sure. So yeah, and like I know you, you got your black belt, right? So congratulations. no, I'm a brown. I'm still I'm brown. Cut I'm, that I'm, part I'm, out. You got your <laughs> belt. Congratulations. That's a massive oh, thank achievement. And so, I, yeah, I don't think be, no, maybe not everyone realized, but a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a very meaningful rank that is not given easily. So you you must have really put in the time and effort. Oh yeah, yeah, and you know, I mean. I, I'm I'm just that kind of a I, for me martial arts is basically that's life. So you right. know if I I don't do anything half half. So when I started <laughs> when I started jujitsu, I was like, all right, I'm either gonna I'm gonna see this through. I'm not going to half ass it or or you know two years in, three years in, bravo. quit. You know, I yeah, thought, okay, you know, just just push through and see how it adds. Yeah, and it's it's a it's an interesting addition, I must say. Yeah, it seems like a so, good good thing to match with Chinese martial arts and yeah, and yeah for combine sure. for well, sure. Well, a lot of the China that we do in, in Liang style Bagua, mm. I directly used there too. I mean, there's, there's been times where I, on the floor, used some of the, the specific locks. Ah, and, that's funny, yeah. And, and submitted people very, very... Ah. And it's stuff they hadn't seen, some of oh, these Oh, interesting. Some of so these it was locks, moves so. that they didn't even have. Ah, that's... Yeah. Or approaches. I mean, in right, general, right. most of the locks are, are pretty similar, but sure. how to get there sometimes is different. Ah, right? so, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, again, like a whole science of its own, right? So, right, like, right. That's a world that you could go as deep as you want, and uh, there, there is only so much time to train. But uh, you know, a, a good knowledge of stand up, a good knowledge of 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 clinching, a good knowledge of china, a good knowledge of throwing, a good knowledge of falling, 
and floor grappling, each of those things is an important part of martial arts that you got to have at least a little of each and then find one that you really like the most. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, so I, after your um, initial uh, publication of, of the book, what was the, the reception like? Um, I got a lot of uh, very nice emails from people. You know, I think I've found a lot of, uh, and over the years, I'd, I'll run into people and say, hey, wait, that was your book. Yeah, dude, I loved it. Like, I think it really accomplished its goal, which was to reach out to other, the people I call sort of martial arts nerds or martial mm. arts uh, people like us who like the books and, and inspired by the stories. And, you know, there's always going to be bros who just don't care about that half of it or that part of it, which is cool. They've, they just, that's not part of their, it just doesn't interest them. And I dig that. But there are those of us who, who want to contrast and compare and, and following that Bhagwajang journal theme of looking at the old documents, looking at how different schools, per, you know, approach the training. What are the commonalities? What are the things that we can um, learn from each other and so on? And I, if you had that intellectual curiosity and you wanted to see all these perspectives, this, this book was for you. And so I think it reached those type of people pretty well. Mm -hmm. And Although it's out of print now, it's still you can still get a you know a used copy on Amazon if if you oh, want. Oh, it's out one. of print. So, okay. Yeah, okay. It, it like it had a good run though. I think you know maybe maybe close to twenty years it was in print. So oh, most books good. don't last that long, and uh, it was it, like you said though it's it's a piece of its time and its era. And now we have a world full of online products and online uh, videos and, and your podcast like yours, where you're going directly to the source, talking to people who are the premier teachers of their school or talking to someone mm -hmm. like Andrea Falk, who's just been in, in Chinese martial arts in China since 1980 and yeah, she's has just really incredible a pioneer. perspectives, right? And, yeah. and the books that we were sort of publishing at that time were just a fraction of what the information that's now out there that I enjoy, that I'm glad is out there. And, yeah. uh, you know, and books continue to, I, I still collect martial arts books and every day there's more and more of them and translations that are cool and, you know, old photos that resurface. And my hope is that people will continue to dig up old materials um, from old articles and books that are previously published that haven't been re, you know, been seen in a long time uh, yeah. will continue to surface. Uh, uh, Kang Liu in uh, Taiwan was, you know, he's been publishing, republishing old books for a long time there. And I just, I just know out there there's so much more that still hasn't even been exposed, maybe not even in Chinese for a long time, but mm. especially not in English. Yeah, there's a lot more. And you, you know, you made a tremendous effort with your book to try and get some of those traditional teachings that have been, you know, oral tradition teachings that have been written down. Um, I'm just looking forward to more old films, old video, uh, old photos that that may emerge, old articles and so on. And they still are. That's the interesting thing. I mean, I had uh, Zhang Yukai on. He's a, he's a Gao style practitioner out of mm. Taiwan who started okay. in Taiwan, but then started going directly to Tianjin. Okay. Uh, to study and 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 um, I had him on, and it was it it was it was interesting to see that um, he we were talking about a video that had surfaced just a couple of years prior of Zhang Junfeng um, right. doing some right. some you know some practice. I'm sure you've seen it. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen it where he's yeah. doing some uh, Tiangan. He's doing the heavenly stems uh -huh. practices. Yeah, and, he does and pretty that, much everything, you know. He, he covers tons of, of the Gao style system there. Yeah, but that's the interesting thing that that was. I mean, it's not it's not as if that was filmed now. I mean, the guy's been gone for so long. Right. But that that little footage only became right. public like recently. So right. 
And it was interesting because I was looking at that video and then in the middle, there's some staff practice. He's doing mm. some staff stuff. Mm -hmm, it's just mm -hmm. a small section. And then it cuts back to some bare hand stuff, back to the gal style stuff. And I immediately recognized the staff stuff because it's, it's a, it's a form that my teacher had taught me, but I hadn't seen anybody else doing it the wow. way we, we do it. So I immediately recognized it. I was like, hang on, well, that's, that's Jojo Gwyn. That's nine provinces staff from, uh, uh. from our, it's, it's Xingyi, by the way. Uh. And, and I immediately recognized it because there were certain techniques in there done exactly, and they're quite unique, that were done exactly the same way my teacher has, <laughs> has taught me. And, and I asked uh, Zhang Yukai, he's like, oh, you recognize the form? He's like, yeah, uh, you know, and it's just interesting. So there might still be stuff that pops up over time that, you know, uh, who knows? So I'm, just I'm sure of it. I'm sure. I mean, I know it's out there, but the heartbreaking part is that right now somebody's going through their grandpa's old box of crap and like old notebooks and journals and pictures and of people out. they don't know. And it's going straight in a dumpster yeah. in some hutong that's being, you know, torn down to build a new shiny building. And yeah. that's just the killer part for people like us who love that history and love that, that culture and the, you know, just the fashion and the style of the 1920s and 30s, just to think that all that, there's just, just golden bits just disappearing, you know, every year. But that's the nature of history and archaeology and, 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 and learning this stuff is Chinese martial arts has lost 99% of all the Chinese martial arts that's ever existed. Yeah, and for yet sure. still, it's an incredible rich heritage. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. that's, you know, this, this unfortunate extinction is part of it. Um, but that's always been part of it. Yeah. So just for the listeners, the, we, I don't think we've said the full name of the book. The book oh, that you right. published is called Neja Chuan, Internal Martial Arts, right. Teachers of Taiji Chuan, Xingyi Chuan, and Bagua Zhang. Now in the book, you have, I think it's 16 interviews. Something in like that. Yeah. And, but you obviously did a bunch more. I mean, I don't think you just did those 16 and then you decided I did that's some it. More, I did do some more, but not a lot more. The, oh, okay. the ones that I, you know, the ones that I did, uh, you know, there were some, there were some people who wouldn't be interviewed. And I mean, I remember one, one teacher, uh, who since passed away, um, who was from, uh, Shanghai and had been living in the States for a long time, but he had learned, uh, Yichuan for, for many years from, mm. um, from one of the direct students of the founder. And so right. he, he had, a. Uh, you know, and, and he didn't want to be interviewed. He said, I don't believe in, you know, people writing everything or, you know, recording everything. I'm like, okay, fine. Then we had a two hour conversation where he told me all these amazing like fight stories and back oh, history wow. and name and names and dates and who was great and who wasn't and all his training, you know, all through the 1960s and 70s. And, and by the time we were done, I'm just like, if only he had let me record that and I could write And at the end. He was like, Hey, you know, maybe I will do an interview with you sometime. You're pretty cool. Uh. And, and I was just, oh, if only, you know, I, I should have secretly recorded it, you know, oh, just yeah. for posterity's sake, right? But Even for yourself. And, uh, for yeah, yourself. there was just some heart, you know, and I was able to uh, interview uh, one great teacher, Lee Tai Leong, who's a, a she yeah, yeah, yeah. teacher. And you'll notice New that, York. that art isn't represented in the book because my tape recorder died in the middle of the interview and I didn't realize it. Oh, and then no. the, the batteries in my old, uh, you know, did it wasn't digital at the time, so... Those things would run out on you, and he 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 took a, a whole lunch period for an hour and a half and told me all the stories of of his style and all the best masters and why they did the squatting monkey the way they do and all these things and mm. you know I was able to remember a few things from my notebook, but I was on the way home just kicking myself, going, "Man, I just 
had this great opportunity and blew it. But, you know, those are the things that happened along the way. But so there were, there were some that, that missed out. And, um, one that unfortunately was, I was able to go to a class being held by master Sudong Chen from Taiwan, Mm, who was here in Los Angeles. And so I drove all the way down there and fought my way through traffic and got there and but I surprised him with the request and he agreed to go be interviewed right there. And we went to the restaurant and his translator was telling me everything. And he was giving me all the stories from Taiwan that I was loving, but the dishwashers the whole time had just been furiously stacking dishes and washing. And when I listened to the tape, it was absolutely just annihilated with just clashing and clanging and breaking dishes sounds. And the whole interview was just, I've had that a couple of times with podcast recordings. And like I said, they just started drilling upstairs and Ah. you you think it's okay. And then I listen back. This is unusable. It's unusable. They destroyed it. (laughs) But the reason why I mentioned that you probably have some more and, you know, had you ever thought about doing a a follow up like uh, an age at 2 or. Yeah. uh, I mean, the, I, I felt like that was my piece of the puzzle. And what we have now is anybody can interview their teacher and put them on YouTube and that we can all benefit from that. So I think yeah. it would be fun for me to do, but I'm not sure that it would be, you know, serving the public. And and since I have a family now and a lot more responsibilities than I did then, it, it would be a lot more difficult. So I'm, I'm unfortunately not able to continue it. Like, you know, it would be great if it could be a magazine I could just keep doing. But, mm. you know, I, I will hopefully... Uh, you know, now that my kids are almost grown up, maybe I'll have a chance to do some more interviews and maybe do those in in uh, podcast form or whatever. Okay. And, and I've turned my attention to a friend of mine, uh, Isaac Hamans and I, who both trained under uh, his teacher, BK Francis, for okay. quite a long time. We've been having a podcast together and we've interviewed a number of, of people we know through that school uh, talking about, you know, Chinese martial arts in the in the USA and how it developed in that school. So we've been having fun looking at some history, looking at some classics as best as we can understand them and uh, just talking about our experiences there. So I've been using, that's kind of been my creative outlet in terms of mm. my writing and in terms of publishing anything has been to uh, what we call Nature Trend Podcast, just based okay. on the book. And um, it's been fun. You know, we just create interviews, sort of giving our opinions on, you know, some of the great fight stories of Chinese martial arts and looking at the history of that school and the different lineage masters over the years. And so that's been fun to, you know, the, the sources in English are limited, so there's only so much we can really cover. And I feel yeah. like there's a lot more out there since I can't read Chinese that's that's going to that's waiting to eventually be discovered. But, um, yeah, it's just it's just fun. Like we we love to talk about it. And so we figured, hey, we'll just record it and throw it out there, you know, kind of like what you're oh, doing. with nice. yours and. You know, we're going to talk anyway, so we might as well put it out there if people find it entertaining. And some people write and tell us stuff that we didn't know. So, yeah, for um, sure. Well, I'll put some links to that. I'll put some oh, links to that and then people can check it out as well. So, yeah, appreciate that. Yeah. you know, I, I, I kind of feel sad to hear that that the that Nejachu and the book is not print in print anymore. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and I, I was I was wondering in today's age where. Uh, print on demand is is a is a feasible option you, yeah there's no maybe you should consider i don't yeah. know speaking to your your former the former publisher about maybe <laughs> putting it up because i'm yeah, i'm not i'm not so idea. sure it's gonna be like it's not it's not a political book that's gonna be a bestseller yeah. in 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 terms of volume but sure. there are gonna be enough people interested and you know, it'd be a, it would be a shame if they can't get their hands on it true so. well that's a good idea i've always, i've kind of meant to get around to that and i 
there are some other out of print books that I'd I'd like to see in print. So I'm at some point I'm going to gather up some stuff and and make it available just so people can get copies if they want. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, but that would be fun. That would be good to to keep it going and uh you know, the books have their place and I think they always will and the digital world is great too and it's just it's basically great to have both, you know. Yeah. It's, kind of, it's a golden age on that level. I mean, it may not be the golden age of Chinese martial arts in terms of the masters that could once fly and do death touch and stuff like that. <laughs> but in terms of it, compared to the 1980s, when there was, you, you could barely pronounce any of these words. Like these, these things didn't exist. You know, yeah. we, we really have a lot of resources and information and materials that inspire us. So for sure, I, I'm for my sure. trainings as fun as it's ever been. And you know, I'm not planning to stop. Yeah. That's good to hear. Well, I don't want to take up the entire your entire. Uh, <laughs> what time is it there now? Oh, I mean, it's uh, it'll be dinner time pretty soon here. All right, all right. Well, yeah, you, you, it's been great talking to you, getting these insights. We could carry on for hours. Yeah, I know. We got to talk again sometime. I, it's it's yeah. great to make touch. It sounds like we have a lot of uh, loves in common in terms of martial arts books. So we should. I want to compare some of the collection and see if we can uh, fill up oh, any for holes sure. in my half. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Well, we'll put some contact details, whatever you want to be made public, um, sure. in the in the show description here. Um, I'll get that from you, and uh, you know, people want to reach out to you. I highly recommend people try get their hands on your book, Neja Chuan, if they can find it. If it's if you know, in some senses, if it's only available through. Uh, you know, second hand, but yeah. at, at a higher price, it's still worth it. Get your hands on it. It's, it's something you it's, want to it's keep. It's still pretty competitively priced. Let's put it that okay. way. You should be okay. able to get one pretty cheap. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll put all that information out there as well. So thanks so much for your time. Right. It's been well, great chatting. The honor is all mine. Thank you, Byron. Great talking to you, man. All right. Have a good evening. Good Take evening. care. Bye. Bye.